Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. As Rick has said, I'm really excited to be talking. We're looking at Acts 1-8, so if anyone has Bibles with them, you can flick open to the first chapter of Acts we'll be looking at briefly. Um, I'm excited about this because pretty much I've been involved in missions or ministry in some way pretty much since I left school. That was not my plan, but it was very much God's plan and leading and guiding. Um, And more in particular, I'm passionate for our land. Okay, I'm passionate for Ireland. It's where before COVID our family were living for about eight years. Um, And I'm passionate about movement and what God's doing with his kingdom in this land. Why? Because actually in a lot of the rural parts where we were living, there's a vacuum. Okay, and I love being part of this church because I love in corporate prayer how we actually have been gathering with you. Many of you over many, many years have sown into this land. And I love that and I honor that. And I love the wisdom that is even within this house of sowing into this land. But I'm passionate about more and the more I believe God has because actually there's a vacuum. There's many, many towns and people crying out for something to be birthed of his kingdom in this land. So as we're coming to look at Acts 1-8, I'm passionate about Ireland. And I think Dave kind of landed me in on it um, if you read the Friday email because he said that I was going to be announcing where we're going. Okay, so it's all right, Dave. So very briefly, very quickly, Rick very kindly says we're going to unpack this in more and more weeks because there's a lot to it. But because you guys have been on the discernment process with us, praying where is God sending us out next, just to say in the recent weeks, we have actually been invited. It's on the map there with that little drop pin. We've been invited to come and join with another couple of families in birthing something around Ballina area. Okay, people who are known very well to people in this house, people who have been there for over 20 years, and people who we love and respect. But that's what we're praying for. We're at the point now with open hands going, God, will you make a way? God, will you give us the house? God, will you show us what you want us to do and when? Um, But yes, just needless to say, we're praying over that area. um, And actually, It lines up with so many prophetic words that we've received over the past number of years. And it's just beautiful alignment. And just to say, in terms of us as a house, a church family, God is weaving together relationships way before we even ask him what we're meant to do about it. And that's what we've seen. He is weaving stuff together for movement across this land. Because I believe there is more I believe God wants to speak and reposition because he's doing repositionings left, right, and center. Lots of people I'm talking to, it seems to be we're in a season of repositioning. And actually, I believe he really has something to speak this morning into that as we actually come with open hands saying, here I am, Lord. What would you like me to do? What's my position in this? Okay, so Rick did a really great job last week. If you didn't hear Rick's message, I really implore you to go back and listen to it, okay? Because a lot of what I'm talking about this morning is based on what he said. But here's some of my, in a nutshell, Rex, so I hope it do it justice, okay? So some of the points that I took away from last week was this. You cannot live the Christian life to the full if you're not empowered by Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will, will lead us toward mission. 
will lead us toward kingdom advancement. Holy Spirit is not merely some power, but the person of the Godhead who we honor, who we actually say, we are your servants. What are you speaking? God lives in us. And I love that Rick said about how we have to move from being familiar with that as just saying it and being fascinated with the reality. Fascinated when we speak the name of Jesus. And the promise is for you this morning. What's he saying to you? Where are you meant to be positioned? So let's read the beginning of Acts chapter 1, 1 to 2. Okay, so in my former book, it's Luke writing. Okay, so Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen. So Luke is clearly telling us that this book of Acts, okay, I'm all into overview, so here we go. This book of Acts is basically the second part of all that Jesus began to do and that Luke recorded in his gospel account, okay? And then Luke, in verse 8 of chapter 1, brings us this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you see, Acts is basically the story of the church running with that, getting the baton of everything Jesus began to do and running with it in their day. And we see this unfold. So actually, if you look at the overview of Acts, it's basically broken down to show us that this promise that Jesus gave them, Jesus' last recorded words in scripture when he was on earth, actually that they do it. Okay, so Acts chapter one to six is basically showing how they go into Jerusalem. And it finishes with this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then the next few chapters after we read chapter seven, which talks about Stephen and his stoning and being martyred for the faith, the next few chapters go on to tell us how there are witnesses in Judea, Galilee and Samaria before concluding with this verse, Acts 9, 31. Then the church throughout, see how it's already spreading? The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Before then, we read the rest of Acts, which talks about how it goes to the ends of the earth, to us, the Gentiles, okay? And here are some of the verses. Acts 12, it says, the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. Acts 16, 5, the churches were strengthened in faith. They increased in numbers daily. Acts 19, 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Before it concludes, the very last end of Acts, and it says this, Acts 28, 30 to 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. Now, that sounds very nice, unless you actually know he's in house arrest, okay? He's in Rome, he's in house arrest at his own cost, okay? And he's there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the whole point of Acts 
is not some biography of one of the disciples. It's not for us to read it in our day and go, wasn't Paul a great guy? Okay, it's not about Paul's life, although he's part of it. It's about the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And actually the very end here we read, it's like a cliffhanger because the baton's passing to you. Are you going to run with it? And the whole book of Acts, when we read it, doesn't say that all this multiplication happens without troubles. There are troubles accounted for, but it moves without hindrance. The very last word of Acts, unhindered, without hindrance. So Dave is actually going to cover the ends of the earth part, which is great. Okay, so we only get to get look at the Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria this morning. But I just wonder, what does it look like for us as a family on mission together to move as witnesses across our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, our land? What are the things that are actually maybe holding us back? Because I know this is a church that actually has a real heartbeat for movement. But what's the more? What are actually holding us back? What's holding maybe you back right now from the more? And actually, did the disciples have the same issues that we do? And I think they did. We can read the verses about how it multiplied daily in an increased number. But I want to actually look at what did they overcome for that to happen. So let's start in Jerusalem. Okay, the disciples were told to wait here. Okay, the very end of Luke chapter 24 is the very end of Luke. uh, Luke accounts for what Jesus says. With my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem. Don't go back to your hometown. Don't go back to the fishing shores of Galilee. Don't go back. Wait in Jerusalem. But what was Jerusalem like for them? You see, from our vantage point, we can look at it and go, oh, Pentecost happens. Brilliant. All the nations were there. Guys, you get to speak in different languages and they understand you. But when they heard this, they didn't know that. They were just obedient and then the spirit empowered. They, they, they saw the movement because of their obedience. They stayed and they waited. But what happened? Because we need to remember, Jerusalem, it was there that the disciples, John twenty nineteen says, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were terrified in Jerusalem. This was the place that Jesus had been crucified. They thought they were going to be next. But this is a place of fear. And they have to start their mission there. What happened? What happened to change that? What did they have to overcome? You see, it makes you realize that when Luke records how Jesus says, wait for the spirit to like, fill you with power, that they're letting go on, yes, we need that. Peter probably, let's face it, was probably the guy going, we saw Jesus walk through walls, bet you that's going to happen, okay? He's probably that sort of guy going, I am waiting for that power. But actually, what was the real change for these guys? They encountered the risen Jesus. Between the locked doors hiding away, they encountered the risen Jesus. Lucy Hill was telling us a couple of weeks ago, Peter encountered Jesus on the beach, They encountered the risen Jesus. And right after, at the end of Luke 24, what it says is when they receive this, go wait in Jerusalem, they actually return with great joy 
and they go to the temple continually praising. They're no longer men hiding behind locked doors. It's a place of fear, but they're no longer bound by it. So here's my question. What for you are you fearful of? That God just this morning says, I don't want you to live behind that locked door. What actually are you fearful of? What are the things that you're saying, I couldn't do that, not me. Maybe them, not me. You see, because I think if we are actually going to be a church on movement, we need to be giving our hands open to God and saying, God, I'm scared. God, I'm scared of that. I don't think I could do that. And actually, when Paul accounts about how he preached with all boldness, that we're actually getting the boldness. I'm scared. I don't think I can do that, God. Here's my fear. Encounters with the risen Jesus that actually brings movement as all of the body. Because, guys, I don't want any of you missing out. I don't want any of you missing out on what the disciples saw, where they get suddenly language learning without any language lessons, okay? Where they actually, Peter, this uneducated fisherman, gets to stand out of the shadows and preach to a crowd who are questioning and doubting, thinking they're drunk, but suddenly 3,000 people get to know Jesus that day. I don't want you missing out because you're hiding behind the locked doors in Jerusalem. What about Judea? Okay, I love this account. Um, It's actually the account in John 11 of the death of Lazarus. Okay, but it tells you a bit about what the disciples thought of Judea. Okay, so let's read that together. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her Mary sister and Lazarus. Okay, Jesus has been called for. Come, Lazarus is sick. The sisters have sent for him. Okay, but even though Jesus loves them, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Verse 11, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, or in some accounts, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You see, this is what the disciples think of Judea. Okay, normally we look at that and we talk about Jesus and actually the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but look at how the disciples are thinking about this geographically. Okay? You see, they're actually going, you want to go back? Thomas's response is actually said here in resignation, not dedication. Huh? Suppose we may go die then too, does he not? No, they were trying to stone him last time. You want to go back again? You see, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus ministers regularly in Judea, even though he's actually rejected regularly. Because Judea was a place of rejection. Okay, let's look at it. It was in Bethlehem, Judea, that actually Mary and Joseph had to flee with baby Jesus because of King Herod the Great, actually the genocide of all the baby boys. Okay, in John 4, we see that it's because of rejection in Judea that the disciples and Jesus leave Judea and Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. 
And here in John 11, we're finding, you want to go back? Last time we were there, they were trying to stone you. This is not an easy place. So when we're actually reading about Acts 1.8, let's go there. Yeah. This is not easy. These are difficult places. Judea was a place of rejection. So I've got a question. This morning, honestly, if you're thinking about the mission, the kingdom of God spreading, where for you are some of the places of stings of rejection? You've tried with that person so much and they just keep on refusing it. Might be somebody in family, very dear to you. And it's a sting of rejection and maybe you've given up hope. In fact, you've given up so much hope, you're probably not even praying so much anymore. It's a sting of rejection. What about maybe even just assuming you might be rejected? And so you're a bit like the disciples. Oh, if he's sleeping, then he's going to get better. You actually already assume the rejection, so you decide not to go there anyway. What's God's Spirit maybe wanting to say to you about the places of rejection that his word may increase and go forth in our land and in our towns and in our communities and in our families and our sports teams, our places of work. What boldness do you need? What encouragement do you need in places of rejection? Acts 12 is powerful because it actually shows the disciples going into Judea, but it tells you what it's actually like for them in Acts, okay? So Acts 12, it still wasn't easy for them, okay? Judea is now ruled by Herod the Great's grandson, Herod Agrippa I, okay? And Herod Agrippa I has the apostle James killed. The disciple James is killed by the sword. And he gets so much encouragement from the applause he gets from this that he then imprisons Peter. But Acts 12 also talks about a bit of a miraculous escape. It's a good one. Go home and read it. Okay? But then Herod Agrippa sets himself up to be worshipped. And because he received worship that was only due God, God strikes him down dead. Straight away. And here's the next verse. Acts 12, 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. The gospel advances not without trouble. James has been murdered. Peter's imprisoned, but without hindrance. What's our places of rejection that we need to say, Holy Spirit, I need your power. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we saw an Acts 12, 24 movement in some of our places? And then what about Samaria? Okay, place of prejudice. Now, this isn't too far for the bone, from the bone for us here in Northern Ireland, all right? We've pretty much got this down. The Samaritans, listen to this, claimed to worship the God of Israel, but followed their own traditions. They rejected the temple in Jerusalem, which is accounted in books like Ezra and Nehemiah. They were despised by the Jews. Why? They considered them heretical, impure. They often clashed with them over religious things and political things. Sound familiar to Northern Ireland? The Samaritans were themans. Okay? So think about themans. And I love that we are actually a church 
that's actually across Lurgan. Because I grew up in Lurgan. I know what it was like to only go so far in the town before you knew you were in the territory of Lemons, okay? Whatever side that was. I love that. But for the disciples and the apostles to go into all of Samaria, they had to overcome prejudice. And here's my question this morning. Sometimes we reason our prejudices very, very well because of hurt that maybe is actually something we need to bring to Jesus for movement in this land. Jesus, but I'm still so hurt by that. I know that's a real thing. We've all got stories, but this is something that we need healing poured in so that our prejudice does not hold us back from the movement of the kingdom. Jesus began the work, the Samaritan woman at the well. He told a, great, told a great story about a Samaritan who actually came up trumps when caring for somebody compared to the Jewish religious leaders. But the disciples actually have to wrestle with going in themselves. You see, we have to be honest with the parts of us that are still unemployed. The wee niggles about them and whatever that might be. And here's the other thing I really felt strongly that I should say is sometimes our prejudices are very, very subtle. Okay? So sometimes you're thinking, oh, it's great. That's no problem for me anymore, Cheryl. But you know what I've heard a lot of whenever my family have been actually deciding about going out into the land? Statements about how it causes great sacrifice, which there are definitely sacrifices but not in the ways that these statements are told me in. One of the biggest things seems to be around education, about how we have a great education system here in Northern Ireland. And, oh, wow, what's that like? Can I just say, we do have a great education system, but I'm just going to be frank here. Did anyone see the thing where there was all about literacy and reading recently and about how Northern Ireland came fifth in the world? We have a great education system. The south of Ireland came second. Just saying. Okay, so maybe it's not so bad. So maybe you're sitting going, Vamans, oh, it's not an issue that I have between what flags are actually on flagpoles. But maybe there are subtle prejudices. I don't think my family could move because, oh, my kid's going to go into secondary school and I don't know how that system works. It's good. I'm actually excited about some things I'm going back to. It's very good. So the subtle prejudices, oh, my family couldn't do that because da-da-da-da. Guys, it would be wrong of me to be prescriptive about what God is asking in our day for movement. I'm just his servant. But so are all of us. So please don't be prescriptive with your own life. We have to be the Isaiah 6 people. Here I am, send me, and trust he's a good God that has everything worked out for every member of our families. You will receive power, power to overcome fear, power to overcome rejection, power to overcome prejudice. Neil Cole says this, we can still fulfill the great commission in this generation, but we will need to get back the power that spread the gospel across the globe in the first century. So what did this power look like for the early church? Well, I've already mentioned uneducated power preaching, okay, instantaneous language learning, Penniless men saying, I can't give anything to a beggar, but I can lay hands and heal him. 
community that actually does share their wealth so well that the Roman authorities start to go, oh, here, this church is starting to show us up. They're looking after our poor better than we are. Philip being transported by the Spirit. Now, I cannot get my head around this, okay? But transported by the Spirit so that in the south, he can be actually leading somebody to Jesus and baptizing him, but also then be transported on the same day to preach in cities in the north. Praise parties, God encounters in the midst of earthquakes and shipwrecks, not without trouble, but without hindrance. Visions, dreams, angelic visitations. Roger Ellis in his book Essence says this, if you took the miracles out of the four gospels and the book of Acts, you would end up with one or two bits of teaching and a few meals. So much of it is miraculous that we must appreciate this is part of who God is and how he wants to work in us. However, it's also about God's provision through restored relationships and community, which is built around the core teaching of Jesus Christ. So if we're looking for movement and we're praying, and I know as a church family, we are praying for movement in our land. I've heard the prayers, passionate prayers. What's the method of our witness that we can go out from here with, okay? Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've got three Greek words for you. They rhyme, so it's easy to remember, okay? Logos, ethos, pathos, okay? Here's the method of our witness, okay? What are they? Logos, the word. The word of God spread. The word of God continued to increase. Remember, we were reminded in Cultivate series, the seed is good, we need to be people who proclaim it. We need to be people who share it. I love a story, actually, um, in John chapter 9. It's a story of a blind man being healed by Jesus in a very strange way. Put it this way, there's spit and mud involved in it, okay? And Jesus heals this man, but it's a delayed healing. And the man ends up before the Pharisees with his parents, but Jesus isn't there because it's a delayed healing right? And this man is no expert in theology. In fact, he hasn't actually seen Jesus. He heard him. He had this encounter, but he hasn't seen him fully yet, okay? And this man goes before the Pharisees, is not an expert of theology, but is an expert of his own experience. So in the midst of all their condemnation and their criticism, this blind man says, look, all I know is once I was blind, now I see. And he testifies powerfully of his own experience. If you're a child of God here today, you have this ammunition, okay? You can testify of your own experience. I know there's many people in the house today who have only come to faith in recent months. And you might be thinking, oh, but I don't know lots and lots of stuff. What did you read that morning? Go out and share it. Guess what I read? Guess how Jesus encouraged me this morning? Can I share it with you? Guess what Jesus did for me? Can I share it with you? Because this blind man does. It's interesting. This was in John 9, but in John 8, Jesus is in front of the very same Pharisees, and they tell Jesus that his witness is unreliable because he testifies for himself. Jesus says, my witness is reliable because I know who I am. But the very next chapter... We get this encounter, somebody witnessing his testimony of who Jesus is, which is why Jesus then, it makes it so simple when Jesus says, this man was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. All of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned 
to us by the one who sent me. All of us. What's your task? What's your positioning? What does God actually want to say? Come on. Testify. Witness about me. Declare the word. Ethos. Oh, sorry. Romans 10, 14. It's a good one, so I'll not leave it out. Okay, Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It spreads because the word, the logos, is declared. Ethos is simply our character. When the spirit comes on you, you will be. Okay? There's the power of the Holy Spirit, the giftings of the Holy Spirit, but there's the fruit of the spirit. All men will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. We are going to be people of exceptional character, growing in kindness, growing in patience, growing in self-control, growing in love, growing in all of the fruit of the Spirit. Our witness will spread because we're the people who actually grow in the fruit. That really annoying neighbor that you have that just is pure grumpy and you don't know why, fruit of the spirit come on lord give me patience how can i pour out more love more gentleness more kindness on this person and pathos passion i love that rick actually read second corinthians 4 about how we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from god and not from us the very next chapter paul writes and um, 2 Corinthians 5:14 for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I woke up this morning or this morning I did wake up this morning I'm here. Okay, I woke up this week on a couple of mornings with this verse in my mind. I actually dreamt about it one night as well. For Christ's love compels us. And I looked up the Greek word. It really does sound like I'm a Greek scholar this morning, but I'm not. Okay, this is how you're going to know if you are. I'm going to butcher how to pronounce this. Okay, so actually I looked up the word compels because this Greek word used is the only ever time it's used in scripture. There are the English word compels lots of times, but this Greek word is only used this once. For Christ's agape love compels us. Okay, and it's this word syneche. What does syneche mean? Okay, actually, if there's anybody here with a medical background, there's a diagnosis very, very similar that we get from this word syneche. Okay, so, and the, the diagnosis is called synechia. And synechia, for anyone who isn't medical, like me, okay, is basically this abnormal adhesion. It's almost like uh, two, like scar tissue, like two structures being abnormally stuck together, okay? It's an image of tethering, an image of bridging, an image of uniting. So sometimes people will have synechia maybe in the nasal passage, in the throat, in the eye, okay? So it's this actual joining, this unusual bridging and tethering, Christ's agape tethering. Our spirit, his spirit, is what Paul is writing in Corinthians, compels us to go out, 
compels us to get over the places of fear and rejection and prejudice, compels us to actually go out and share God's love with people that need to know it. So gently this morning, I'm asking for us all to do a wee health check. What parts in each of us have become dull? What's cut in on you? Maybe real things that we as a family have to cover you in. Maybe there are health difficulties. Maybe you're just exhausted. Maybe you need to be led by still waters for him to restore your soul. But maybe this morning you're thinking, I've been treading water for a bit here. Has age cut in on you? Maybe it doesn't look, the movement doesn't look like what it once did. But what does it look like for this season? Has distraction, busyness? What's God asking? Open-handedness and trusting him that he knows you better than you know yourself. God, what's my positioning? What places does God want us as a church family to move into so that the people he loves actually get to know it? What places of our lives do we need the encouragement to actually have the boldness of Paul? Who do we need to share this with that we can actually have prayer and support one another in it? I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? You see, because if you're like me, sometimes we grow up in the church and by the sheer weight of discussion around these things, We lull ourselves into believing we're doing it. May that not be so. I, just in terms of discerning the times, I'm really, really excited. I was talking to Jerry Emerson about this last Sunday night um, at the NUA site because I'm married to an evangelist, okay? Dave very much, you know, he, he just has encounters I don't have. Like, actually, I shouldn't go off because of the time, but, um, but he's the guy who disappears when we're doing our wedding list and I'm going where's he gone and actually it's because he's leading some man to the Lord down the street um, but, and I'm buzzing away with the wee thing going oh I like this he won't um, with our wedding list so David is a person who when he's at the kids play park Holy Spirit will say something like go speak to that person and then actually an amazing conversation happens that he then meets up with that person a few times after okay this is who David is but recently What's very, very exciting is we're seeing a shift where actually people are coming to us. People we've prayed for for years are suddenly phoning, going, we need to talk. People who have rejected for years are going, phoning David, going, can we meet for coffee and bring your book? We're walking into exciting times. David is actually on work driving up to strangers' driveways And actually, them having a conversation about the things of God beforehand and asking him, can you explain it? And actually having them sitting crying in their driveway. These are the things we're walking into. This is our season. I was talking to Jerry last Sunday. She's seeing it too. I'm excited, church. But are we positioned where he wants us positioned? I'm just going to finish now. And I'm actually going to ask Holly to come up um, and lead us in a final song. But... I really believe that there may be things in this church, because I know we're a church family that loves to see God move. I know we're passionate about movement in this land, but I feel like what needs to shift for the more? And so if there's something this morning that you're just saying, anything, 
God, I just want them more. God, I'm scared. Will you move in the place of fear? God, I'm so tired and weary. Will you move in the place of rejection? God, I know I'm the person who's gone, I couldn't move my family because. If there's something that you're just going, God, speak to me. Here I am. Use me. Can you maybe just stand and I'll pray over you? If there's just anything that you're saying, I want more. Here I am, God, for move in this land. Just quietly stand and I will pray over us as a church body. And then we will finish. Jesus, we just say that we know that we are jars of clay. But I thank you that this all-surpassing power is from you and not from us. God, we desperately want to see you move in our land in greater and greater ways. We want to see captives freed. We want to see communities restored. We want to see families restored. We want to see actually breaking of things in the unseen over our nation. And so God, we just say, will you use us? God, I pray over our church. Holy Spirit, empower, breathe, equip, speak words of encouragement, encounters of the risen Lord that actually remove fear, remove the holdups we have in our jars of clay so that we can be used exactly the way you created us to be. God, we want to walk into our destinies. Remove the obstacles. Here we are. Send us where you want. Because we are your servants. Obeying your command. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.